This is MPN. Welcome to Movie Matchup. I'm Casey. And I'm Grace. A podcast where we talk in-depth about two movies with a common theme. And at the end, we'll talk about menu items you can enjoy while having your movie marathon. Grace, what is this week's theme? This week's theme is Hell Hath No Fury. Yay! (laughs) All right, and I guess I'm going first this week for the first movie. So the first movie in our movie matchup is Gone Girl. And the Rotten Tomatoes plot is writer Nick Dunn and his glamorous wife Amy present a portrait of a blissful marriage to the public. However, when Amy goes missing on the couple's fifth wedding anniversary, Nick becomes the prime suspect in her disappearance. The resulting police pressure and media frenzy cause the Dunn's image of a happy union to crumble, leading to tantalizing questions about who Nick and Amy truly are. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And our second movie is A Simple Favor. Uh, In it, Stephanie is a widowed single mother who works as a vlogger in Connecticut. Her best friend, Emily, seems to have it all, a successful career, a loving family, and glamorous lifestyle. When Emily mysteriously disappears one day, Stephanie launches her own investigation by digging into her friend's past and finding a few surprises along the way. (laughs) So, Grace, you came up with this pairing. Um, kind of an obvious pairing, I think, probably yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, it, I, I'd say probably even when A Simple Favor came out and it was a 2018 movie, I think, and Gone, Gone Girl was 2014. Mm-hmm. So it was probably the most common point of comparison that I, that I heard when A Simple Favor was released. Um, the most obvious similarity that they have are these, uh, you know, cool, beautiful, manipulative, psychotic women at the center of them. Uh, Kind of alpha women who fake their own death (laughs) in the movie. Um, And uh, in Gone Girl, it's uh, Amy Dunn. And uh, a simple favor, it's Emily, uh, played by Blake Lively. But it's interesting also how different the movies are, not just in like plot but in tone yeah uh even though they have these sort of both have these sort of outlandish (laughs) storylines um and they both kind of play with thrillers and comedy i think in a way yeah um but i'd say that a simple favors tone is more bright and uh a a little um fun (laughs) i guess yeah it's more playful playful yeah uh, whereas uh, Gone Girls, uh, you know, much more somber, but also the humor is more, uh, I guess, biting. Sort yes. of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah, they're also both based on books. Yes. Yeah, I was, um, Gillian Flynn was talking about the kind of story that she wanted to write when she wanted to write Gone Girl, and I realized that they apply to both movies. So she said mm-hmm. that she wanted to write a storyline about a marital thriller, And the things that people do to each other, the idea of marriage being a long con where you put your best self forward and then Mm -hmm. you start to believe, um, to believe it, uh, but you can't pretend to be perfect forever. And she wanted like the he said, she said of the story and the unreliable narrators. And it's like, well, that's both movies. That that whole thing is both movies. (laughs) 
So it is, but it's interesting in that you know, Gone Girl is sort of told from the the perspective of the husband in it. And a simple favor, he's very much not, you know, the the, the star of it's it's more from the friend uh, point of view in it. Uh, and so you have those similar, like that's interesting because you have the same sort of uh, themes coming up, but it's almost played through not just her marriage in a simple favor, but also through uh, her friendship and through her, uh, you know, relationship with her sister, uh, sort of catching up with her in the end. Yeah, it is interesting that because you have like the the friend also plays an important role like in both movies. It's just one is a lot smaller. So like in Gone Girl, it's like we have the present from the husband's perspective and the past from the wife's perspective until they kind of, you know, like meet up. Mm-hmm. And then in A Simple Favor, whereas like in Gone Girl, there's also like the friend who plays an important role, but a very small role, like the yeah. neighbor. And she's kind of a, you know, she's being used very much so. In, in both movies, I feel like they are being used to kind of like as part of the scheme to get, you know, like the faking your own death, like, you know, to, to get away mm-hmm. with it. Um, yeah. But yes, like A Simple Favor is from like that friend's perspective who is like more of like a quirky personality actually but (laughs) like it's told like through like different perspectives so I feel like while we start with the friend Stephanie and her relationship with Emily the wife and then Mm -hmm. it changes once she's gone to the husband's perspective, Sean's perspective, along with like her and like their relationship. And again, yeah, it's kind of going back and forth. Yeah. And again, it's like, oh, okay. So the information that Sean is saying, that the husband is saying in both films, like doesn't really go along with what the wife is yeah. saying and who is telling the truth. And we get all the, yeah, all those scenes uh, from early on when Emily and Stephanie are bonding and she's sort of, you know, spinning this tale of who she is. And she claims that, you know, like they, she had a threesome with her husband the other day in his TA. And then we only find out later that, no, that actually didn't happen. And yeah. he's like, no, she's a pathological liar. She was lying about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They also both have where the husbands, well, I guess they take out large insurance policies yes. on the wives in, yeah. in both movies. And, and the husbands in both are sort of kind of mediocre men who are also writers who haven't really written in a long Yeah, they're time. both writing teachers, which I thought was really odd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Also, I feel like in both movies, there's this element of almost like meta casting uh, in a way. <laughs> like uh, in particular, Ben Affleck in Gone Girl, I feel like was chosen because he essentially is that guy who people just see and you're like, I don't like him. I I don't know much about him, but it just, something about him rubs me the wrong way. You know? (laughs) I feel like he's also very charming though. So it kind of like goes, it goes like back and forth. Yeah. I guess David Venture cast him because he'll go through all these like photos of who he's going to cast. And based on Ben Affleck's smile was -hmm. one of the reasons that, that he cast him, him in it. Uh, and then in A Simple Favor, you have Blake Lively playing this, like, you know, ultimate, like, cool girl uh, who, in, in her past, mostly just plays sort of lighter roles, I think. Um, and and Anna Kendrick as well. She's, I feel like she very often plays this sort of quirky, almost nerdy yeah. character. Mm-hmm. And kind of turning both of those on their head a little bit by seeing, by taking both those characters and making them so dark, in a yeah. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you are kind of already going into each movie with this sort of idea of who these characters are based on who's playing them. 
which is used really well, I think, in both in both films. Yeah. I think also with Rosamund Pike and Henry Golding, not knowing mm. much about either of them really yeah. helps because you have no expectations like for Amy, yeah. you know, like ba- based on that, on that going in and Henry Golding, you know, he's like, he's very charming and, and good looking, but since you don't know much about him, he hadn't done that much like before. It's like, you don't really know, like, should I totally yeah. be on his side? Should I be when judging? playing with the idea that he yeah. may have had something to do with like faking her death. You're like, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing, uh, mm-hmm. both movies have men pleasuring women in them. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> so. Which is, I think, also kind of plays into the fact that both of the women in them are sort of the alpha in the relationship. <laughs> They're, I guess, the ones, like, telling the story. It's like, you know, because yeah. Sean, yes, pleasures Stephanie, who is, like, our mm-hmm. lead. So I feel like it's like, oh, okay, good for her. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe this could work out. And then, But she's, like, sort of taking on, you know – uh, uh, more of Emily's personality mm-hmm. at that point and sort of like trying to emulate her so I think it kind of makes sense she does I mean she's the one he's the one that's just kind of like he's going through it but it's like she has yeah. to then take care of the kids now and she's the one kind of you know that has to be like in charge of everything and taking over that that role in in their lives yeah yeah and to to that end also I feel like both movies kind of have uh like a misappropriation I guess of sort of feminism or feminist like sort of phrasing (laughs) in a way by these sort of like psychotic women um and uh we were talking about this earlier but like the line in a simple favor where she tells uh Emily tells Stephanie uh you know uh don't say that you're don't say you're sorry it's a it's a fucked up female habit uh which is it's generally in general good good advice I Mm -hmm. think (laughs) women but then she takes it a step further and she says you don't have to apologize for anything ever which coming from her in particular yeah (laughs) is like "Eh, maybe you should apologize sometimes (laughs) for the things that you do and then in Gone Girl we have uh Amy at the very end when she comes back and she's as she's literally like washing the blood off of her and (laughs) and uh, ben Affleck, you know, tells, says that she's a murderer, and she says, "No, I'm a fighter," which is kind of like using the like language of like uh, assault survivors, almost, you know. <laughs> and it's like not really like you can't really claim like you did this entirely to yourself, <laughs> and then you murdered a man. Yeah, I feel like you're uh, you're on her side like halfway that it's just like oh okay so yeah. you are or at least from our perspective we're trying to be a good wife and this person cheated on you and yeah. you caught him pulling the same move on his new younger girlfriend that he <laughs> did when you got together and that is upsetting right but then you but want then- to take it a step further and <laughs> yeah. because of that you are going to frame him for your murder and it's like oh okay well you this can't has gone be a normal person and yeah. ask for a divorce <laughs> yeah yeah so um but it kind of uh also lends itself to this sort of this very aggressive uh form of feminism that both of these women have where it's it's just like this isn't this isn't me doing this this is you know this is what he did to me type of thing yeah 
and like, what else am I supposed to do? I just, you know, the world is, has made it impossible for me to <laughs> keep going unless I uh, fake my death and manipulate everyone around me. <laughs> yeah. Which is a little more understandable in Blake Lively's character's situation. Like, she is kind of put into that position by the people around her, uh, a lot less so with Amy Dunn. She is just kind of a psychotic person who way overreacted to... <laughs> Uh, the situation that she was in but you still kind of root for her despite (laughs) yeah well she's very you want to watch her she's very interesting in that way that she's kind of like this like predator who will get herself you know like into a situation and then she's going to adapt Mm -hmm. to what is going to be best for her and she's going to to get out of it with both of them it's it's yeah. you know if you're, you're watching and it's like yeah she's manipulative and she's uh you know a murderer and things like that but it's like gosh she's just so cool i kind of still want to you know yeah she's really smart i just want to see yeah how... yeah. <laughs> yeah i do feel like both movies kind of has this like commentary from the peanut gallery like element to <laughs> to the movies uh in gone girl you've got like the news uh, that's constantly on in the background of all scenes and in particular like missy piles yes. uh, character yeah who's just sort of this sort of over the top like newswoman what, what, what would she she's like nancy grace but she's not nancy grace yeah exactly <laughs> yeah who has all of these opinions uh about what really happened um and then in uh, a simple favor you've got the moms the other moms in mm-hmm. like their their school who are just sort of always there uh, in the background uh, judging what's going on between these two women uh, and uh, the disappearance and everything like that. And they're they're these sort of over-the-top, more comedic roles uh, that are just sort of sprinkled throughout both movies. Do we want to go through Gong Roll and see? Yeah. So Nick, played by Ben Affleck, goes to see his sister Margot, played by Carrie Coon, at The Bar, which they own together. And it's his fifth his, or his five year uh, wedding anniversary to Amy, plays by, played by Rosamund Pike. And she makes little treasure hunts for him to solve every year. So then we flash back to the beginning of their relationship. And Amy is writing in her journal about how she met Nick at a party and they immediately hit it off. And they walk through a romantic sugar storm and kiss, uh, which was filmed <laughs> on the Universal backlot. There's such a dreamy quality to these scenes of like their first meeting and Mm -hmm. and things like that that I and I don't know if it's uh, if it's truly how Amy remembers these things or if it's like she's laying it on thick because (laughs) we you know we're finding out later that that the um, diary that she's writing writing is just a piece of evidence that she's planting um, to sort of craft a story yeah, I guess all the story beats would be true. And in them, you probably, you know, you would have this romantic feeling as it's happening. But they mm-hmm. do make them feel very, like, soft and warm. And then you cut back to the present, which I feel like is very, like, gray and blue and just yeah. so cold. Um, but, yeah, I assume all the beats because she, you know, when she's doing her, like, confession later, like, she talks about how they're true and they're crucial, that that all of these, like, little details would have to right, be yeah. correct. So that you would agree to them so that it's like, oh, well, if those are true, then her wanting to buy a gun later must be also true. But yeah, so they meet at a party 
and hit it off. And yes, they have their sugar storm kiss. And then we cut back to present day and Nick returns home to find the coffee table smashed and his wife missing. He calls the police and Detective Boney and Officer Gilpin uh, look for clues at the house. And the movie is told in this back and forth of scenes through present day where Amy has gone missing and flashbacks to Amy's diary entries and their relationship um, like and how it evolved and how we've gotten to the present. So then we flashback again and Amy's parents have written a book series called Amazing Amy, which <laughs> improved or like is a more successful version of the details of Amy's real life. Honestly, that's enough to drive anyone crazy. I <laughs> Just like your parents have an ideal version of a daughter that they... <laughs> have created a children's series about that you're just constantly comparing yourself to throughout your entire life. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's tough enough if it's like, oh, you played a musical instrument and your parents were just like, oh, I wish you'd kept up with that. But it's like, no, we wrote about a, bo- a book <laughs> about a girl with your name who became a prodigy, who like continued that and was very successful. So, yeah, so then Nick proposes and it's a romantic moment for them. Of like them against like the world or the reporters at the time. And it's this very nice like romantic moment. And then it's just a cut to present day of Nick's mouth being swabbed for DNA because she's gone missing <laughs> at the police station. And he doesn't have satisfying answers for the police about what his wife does all day and who her friends are. Uh, Again, man, <laughs> oh, this is another similar element to a simple favor. These these men know nothing about their wives. <laughs> it's like, no wonder. <laughs> yeah. They turned on you. Yeah. And it's like some of it, it's, you know, I feel like it, it rides the line of like it's, it's believable enough because if you're not asking questions or she's just like around, you're not totally like asking. But at the same time, she can also get away with a lot because you're not – paying attention Mm -hmm. that it's like oh she's reading a book so you just don't ask questions and just kind of you're just going to move on so we flash back to two years into their marriage and it's their anniversary and they're solving the treasure hunt together and they have sex in a library and they buy each other the same anniversary gift (laughs) she's like we're so cute i want to punch us in the face yes i wrote that one (laughs) yeah so then present day again like we can tell that Margot. Uh, Nick's sister doesn't really like Amy very much and her parents say that you know Amy's had a lot of admirers over the years and they mention incidents with two separate guys and a bunch of volunteers like from the community have uh, volunteered to help uh, search for Amy so then we get a flashback again and the recession has hit and they've both lost their jobs and her parents have borrowed a million dollars from her trust fund which is essentially all of it. And they have moved from New York to Missouri because his mom has stage four breast cancer and there's a growing distance between them. So now it's like things were so great in the past and now it's like, well, you can see troubles and and where we're going. So then present day, we meet Nick's girlfriend, Andy, who shows up at Margo's house and we find out Mm. that Nick was planning on getting a divorce. (laughs) So. And just like, uh, I don't, I don't know who the actress is that plays the girlfriend. Um, but, like, just the most basic, <laughs> like, hot girl 
she's just shows up and is just like, I miss you so much. And there's just like no concept of like, yeah, his wife is missing and possibly dead. Like you maybe want to be a little careful <laughs> about things right now. Just does not think about it at all. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, she's just terrible. Yeah, <laughs> she's just she's just hot and she wants to sleep with him. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get a flashback again and you find out that Amy has bought him the bar and that she wants to have a baby, uh, but he says that they can't have a baby to save their marriage, which causes them to have a fight, and he pushes her, and she writes in her journal that Nick can't get a divorce because she has, but she's the one with all the money, and that she wants to buy a gun. So then in uh, present day, forensics has discovered that like the blood in the kitchen did belong to Amy, and they're having a vigil for her. And Nick, of course, at the vigil, he says all the right things that he's supposed to say about how he mm. loved his wife, which really upsets his girlfriend. Because she's just <laughs> not bright enough also to, like, connect those dots. Yeah. That it's just, like, <laughs> clearly he did not love her. He does not want to be with it, you know? Like, it's just. <sighs> so uh. then to <laughs> then we get uh, Neighbor Noel, played by Casey Wilson, who, like, just makes a big scene coming into the to the vigil, and she says that, like, Amy was six weeks pregnant. So then later the police have a lot of questions for Nick because he doesn't, you know, seem to know anything about it, and lab tests reveal that she was or is pregnant. And Nick says that he wanted kids, and it was Amy who didn't want kids. And so we now have conflicting stories. Right. Uh, I also find it interesting that he says that he wanted to have a baby with her while he was in the middle, because this affair that he's been having, it's like a year and a half old, and he said that like a year ago that he wanted to have a baby. Yeah. Like, Why would you bring a poor child into that situation? Yeah, and I'm wondering if like when he started having an affair that it's just like she, I'm, it's just fun. Like she doesn't really mean anything to me like at the at the time, and it's like I still would like to have a baby. I, I don't know. But I, I guess that's the thing is we never fully know like where they were in the timeline because her entire you know like recounting of events is all fake mm, yeah, so we yeah. only have like the glimpses of like their past from you know like certain things in that she says that we know are true and then from what he hints at along along the line so yeah we never get that like yeah. where they actually were so um and then the police find amy's diary with all these wonderful entries in it <laughs> So we're about halfway through the movie, mm. and then now we get the big twist of the movie. <laughs> so we flash back to the day that Amy went missing, and she's alive. She says, I am so much happier now that I'm dead, technically missing, soon to be presumed dead, gone, and my lazy, lying, cheating, oblivious husband will go to prison for my murder. He took and he took from me until I no longer existed. That's murder. Let the punishment fit the crime. And now is the first time that we actually get to see who this person is. Yeah. Like, we have only seen what she wanted us to see of her. Like, her version of who she is that we wanted. It's like, oh, no, okay, this is her. We finally get to see <laughs> who she is. Um, and mm. like as she says this in the passenger seat is just her her little framing her husband for murder checklist of like all the little things that she needs to do. Um, She's very organized. She is. 
Um, it's one of the reasons she's so fun to watch, I think, is because she, she really does put a lot of thought into this fake death <laughs> that she's that she's done. And it's uh, it's so impressive that you, you're just kind of, I, I don't know, it, it feels like you want to like her just because she's been so smart about it. Yeah, she's very smart and calculated, but there's also like this this weirdness about it and then it's like okay so you have planned all of these steps but you have also made this like little checklist for yourself and you mm. have all these like different colored pens for your diary that it's just like not what you normally associate with like a person who's just gonna like go on the run or like frames him for murder it's like you think of like all right yeah. you're gonna think of like a couple of things but she has planned this out so well and right at the end of the list is kill someone yourself yeah like, she is fully planning to commit suicide just to bring down her husband. Yeah, yeah. Which and, is just a whole other level. Yeah, and, like, her little calendar with all her little, like, post-it notes and stuff like yeah. that. But it's just not normally the organization <laughs> of a crime that you see. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so she talks about, we basically get our confession in the middle of the movie or like but like how she did it and then like her why so she explains that she befriended the local idiot which is how she refers to her he just refers to her as like the idiot which is noelle the pregnant neighbor and she told her about how she was being abused and the debt that they have and she stole it is funny how much that little clip of the scene with like the two of them like on the couch drinking wine and gossiping is similar to the like actual friendship scenes that we get in a simple favor later on where it's like basically told from the point of view of the noel character yes and she's also not as stupid (laughs) yeah but yeah so she like steals her urine to fake her pregnancy so that it's like on her medical record and uh she got him to sign up like the bump in the life insurance policy simply by him not paying attention and how she just like made herself bleed a lot and had to like clean up the crime scene poorly like he would. <laughs> and then she created this diary just to like take it one step further. Like just this like diary of true stories about how they fell in love and then fabricated like this abuse and fear and the threat of violence and planted it so that the cops would find it and that Nick would and so Nick would go to prison for her murder. We get all of that, which is like very interesting along with you get to see doing all of these little steps along along the way which is great to just have like this little like behind the scenes of like okay so this is who you are and this is like the actual events that we have been hearing like throughout the the movie that we have been seeing like what led up to that and then she has like it's a really long speech about the how she did it and then it's the why she did it which is her Mm -hmm. cool girl speech so I have the cool girl speech written down. So I was just going <laughs> to recite it because I feel like it's an easy way to really get a sense of who she actually is since it's the yeah. only time everything else is kind of like a version of her. It's it's probably the most memorable like monologue scene from from the movie. Yeah. It's definitely the one that stuck with me the most anyway. Yeah. And like the the first half I think is just as interesting as the second half. Like, Mm -hmm. over her cutting her hair and dyeing it and, like, becoming, like, this different, this different person. Um, But I didn't want to have to read the the whole thing. So, (laughs) yeah, so the cool girl. Nick loved a cool girl. I was pretending to be cool girl. Men always use that, don't they? As their defining compliment. She's a cool girl. Cool girl is hot. Cool girl is game. Cool girl is fun. Cool girl never gets angry at her man. 
She only smiles in a chagrin, loving manner and then presents her mouth for fucking. She likes what he likes. When I met Nick Dunn, I knew he wanted cool girl. And for him, I'll admit, I was willing to try. I wax stripped my pussy raw. I drank canned beer and watched Adam Sandler movies. I ate cold pizza and remained size two. I blew him semi-regularly. I lived in the moment. I was fucking game. I can't say I didn't enjoy some of it. Nick teased out in me things I didn't know existed. A lightness, a humor, an ease. But I made him smarter, sharper. I inspired him to rise to my level. I forged the man of my dreams. We were happy pretending to be other people. We were the happiest couple we knew. And what's the point of being together if you're not the happiest? But Nick got lazy. He became someone I did not agree to marry. He actually expected me to love him unconditionally. Then he dragged me, penniless, to the navel of this great country and found himself a newer, younger, bouncier, cool girl. You think I'd let him destroy me and end up happier than ever? No fucking way. He doesn't get to win. My cute, charming, salt-of-the-earth Missouri guy, he needed to learn. Grown-ups work for things. Grown-ups pay. Grown-ups suffer consequences. And then she just hits herself in the face with a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, so then we get a real sense of like, oh, okay. So this is a different <laughs> movie. He did not kill his wife. No. <laughs> he is being punished. Um, so yeah, so then we come back to present day and Nick has solved his anniversary treasure hunt and realizes that Amy is framing him for murder. Oh, can I just say just another, like, Nick, you're so dumb. Like, it took him so long to realize Woodshed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just like, dude. <laughs> yeah. I also, I, not that hard. <laughs> I don't know why once he finds the woodshed mm-hmm. uh, with the puppets, he doesn't just immediately call the police. Because it's like you have right. the note that leads to the clue. So it's like, no, her intention, this is where they all are. This is what it, what it was for. This is what the puppets are. Like it's all, I feel like that's a lot of evidence that like she might still be alive and that he didn't just kill her and get rid of her. But he doesn't do that. So <laughs> so then Amy befriends her new neighbor, Greta, at this like camp motel thing that she's staying at in the yeah, Ozarks. Yeah, I'm not sure what that like long-term. A, uh, like cabinet situation. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, but so she tells Greta how she went to surprise. She doesn't say Nick. She just, you know, like because her she has the bruise husband. on her face. Yes. She goes to surprise him at work, and she catches him, like, pulling the same move on this girl, Andy. So, like, instead of their sugar storm, it is now snowing, but he, like, you know, brushes the snow off her lips and kisses her. And so, uh, yeah, that sent her. I love that she reacts by just saying, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Yeah. (laughs) She says, thank you. (laughs) So then Nick hires Tanner Bolt, played by Tyler Perry. Uh, and he goes to see Amy's exes that he's, you know, heard about in these situations. So he goes to see Tommy, played by Scoot McNary. And Tommy wasn't willing to become the man that Amy wanted. And so she framed him for raping her and ruined his life. And then Nick goes to see Desi, played by Neil Patrick Harris. And Nick is hoping to get a similar story out of Desi. 
But Desi seems suspicious of Nick and does not want to talk to him. And something that's interesting, so in the script, it describes it as Nick thinks Desi is innocent and Desi thinks Nick is guilty. Which is exactly how you see that scene. That's like Nick is like coming off of like hearing another man tell the same story about how he has been wronged by this woman. And he's Mm -hmm. going to like expect to get another one about how, oh, they can all bond over this terrible woman. Yeah. Um, But really it's Desi is like, no, I, you know, he loves her. And you have this person who you think has done something to this person that you are in love with. And it's like, I do not trust you. I do not want to talk to you. I'm very suspicious of you. Go Mm. away. (laughs) Yeah. And it is interesting to think of, you know, Desi was her high school. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was. And kind of went nuts on her and, you know, when she tried to break up with him was, could not take it and, and uh, like, tried to kill himself uh, because of it. And so it's like, how much of her damage is also influenced by this being her first relationship? Interesting. I also wonder, (laughs) the thing is that we don't fully know what their relationship was like. Like, the Desi and Amy relationship Again, it's like we don't know what is true, but like somehow it ended poorly, but to the point where he still loves her and they can still talk to one another. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious about about <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, so Amy goes to play mini golf with Greta and Boyd or Jeff, played by Boyd Holbrook, and accidentally drops her money pouch because she can't use credit cards, so she has to carry her cash around because she can't just leave it somewhere. But of course she drops it. And I feel like because of the type of person that she is, where she grew up, you know, in this like rich surrounding and stuff like that, it's like, no, you're dealing with, you know, people who are maybe willing to do things like steal money because they don't have any. Yep. Um, so they steal all her money, and now she's desperate, so she calls Desi to save her. <laughs> I do find it funny that as as they're stealing her money, uh, the girl says to her, you know, you should be careful. There are people out there a lot worse than us. And like, like, yeah, there are. And Amy's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just happen to catch her. Yeah. Uh, on an off day, you know. <laughs> Gosh, I can't imagine like if they knew because they probably never knew because she didn't look the same way. It's like, yeah. you know, she lost weight again. Her hair was like different. Sorry. They probably never knew that it was her. Mm-hmm. but yes you're right um so yeah so she says she tells desi how like she was afraid and that she lost her baby and desi is her only hope and the scene takes place at a casino and in the director's commentary david fincher was talking about filming in a casino and he's like you don't have to worry about people looking at the camera because they're watching their money <laughs> and so they just kept feeding the people chips and then they could just film in the casino and I was like that makes perfect sense because normally yeah. you would have to do with people were you know like looking at the camera and stuff like that but it's like no I guess if they've just got money on the table directly in front of them they're more concerned about that than <laughs> than they are about the camera filming them um so Amy arrives at Desi's state-of-the-art lake house and he tells her how there's cameras everywhere to make her feel safe but you know because she's supposed to be this like woman on the run from this terrible man who hurt her mm-hmm. but of course because amy's like a murderer yeah. it's like this is what makes her feel trapped yes so america now hates nick and 
And uh, if she doesn't come home, he's going to go to prison. So he needs her to come home. So he decides to do a TV interview for basically an audience of one. And he covers his villainous chin, which is an inside joke uh, of theirs. And he gives this big apology to her. And then along with that, of this guy who, you know, your husband who is uh, hinting at, you know, the person that you married him for, you have mm-hmm. Desi who gives you this ultimatum. Yeah. Like she's been stringing him along for all these years and uh, he can't really help her if he's not going to get anything in return for it. Mm-hmm. And he also wants her to, you know, look like she did before. He wants her to clean herself up and look more like her old self for him. <laughs> yes, yes. So now Amy needs to pretend to be the woman that yeah. Desi wants her to be. But yes, you can see him judging her. She's like eating the custard and he's like, not happy about her eating all this dessert and then like touching his like electronics and stuff like that after her she's like licking her fingers and everything so yeah and then especially coming after the big monologue that she has when we you know the first i'm so much happier now that i'm dead uh (laughs) like you, you see her just stuffing her face and just like i don't have to be anything to anybody anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) like and then it just all like gets taken away as soon as she goes she has to go and and uh you know ask desi for help um and she's still a psychotic person but you know what you kind of you feel for her (laughs) yeah it it becomes a, a different shift where it's just like oh okay so he like wanting her to be this way but it's like now you know what she is capable of Mm -hmm. like we have already set up that she is willing to frame a person for rape and for murder you probably shouldn't push her and he just has no idea what he's like about to unleash like you know so yeah so nick is then arrested for the murder of amy dunn and uh, a little time has passed and Amy oh, I do want to say oh, yes. my favorite line, maybe from the uh, like police chief, or I don't know what her title is. Um, she's, <laughs> she says uh, to Nick, every time you said something stupid, I thought, maybe he's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and later, yeah, that key yeah, would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so time has passed, and Amy has adapted to who Desi wants her to be. So she has lost weight and she's gotten a new haircut and she makes her big yeah. move implying that like tonight is the night. You know what? We're all doing uh, our own haircuts right now during uh-huh. the pandemic and I call bullshit on her being able to get her hair to look that perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting it herself. Yeah. that Because that's the thing is like it would be twice. Like the first time she cuts it herself, you know, is is like in that bathroom when she's on the the run and it's like very you know just just choppy she just she cut it herself and yes i i'm wondering if they could have like brought in someone or she could you know to to cut her hair or something like that because now she has this very like perfect haircut to be Mm -hmm. this perfect girl now that desi wants to be which would not be like cool girl yes (laughs) but like refined and educated and just this classy you know woman that, that he wants her to be but yes, she would not be able to, to cut her hair that perfect. Uh, but yeah, so she makes her big move implying that like tonight is the night that they're finally going to have sex. And she bites his lip and untucks his shirt 
And then she rubs beet juice on herself, which I found out because I thought it was wine at first, but it was beet oh, juice. Okay. Yeah, okay. no, I, I thought that too. I'm like, gosh, it's the morning. Why are they having <laughs> wine? Um, but yeah, so in the director's commentary, uh, he says that it's beet juice. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense that it's about <laughs> the same color as wine and you would be having that at breakfast. So yeah, so she rubs beet juice on herself and then she screams where a camera can see her just so that it's all evidence for the the future of her being held captive and like raped. So then night comes, he returns home and she seduces him and they are having sex and she slits his throat and she just becomes covered in blood as all of the blood just pours out of his body and like onto her. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's quite a visual. It really is because there's nothing else in the movie like it. Like it's all just yeah. kind of this like sense of like unease and like dread and like mystery of like what really happened. And then it's just like, oh no, this is like a really graphic, violent act that mm-hmm. she does. And it's like, okay, this is just her at like, so you're like seeing the full, the full Amy there. So then <laughs> the car arrives at home at the the Dunn's house and it's her big return. <laughs> And she's just like covered in blood and she looks exhausted and she just goes into his arms and he whispers, you fucking bitch. And she just like (laughs) passes out in his arms as if he has dipped her while dancing. Uh, In front of all of the news crew. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So then. She's good. Yeah. No, she really is. There's a reason that she made it this far. Uh, so then Amy tells the police how Desi kidnapped her and Detective Boney, like, she doesn't believe her, you know, and she's, but she can't really prove anything. So then we have the shower scene where Amy and Nick are both fully exposed and she is just covered in blood and he is now scared of her because she framed him for murder and she killed the guy. <laughs> But she saved him by coming home. Like, she saved him from going to prison. So people will hate him if he leaves her. She's America's sweetheart. And she wants the life that she agreed upon when they got married. (laughs) And both, like, Detective Boney and Tanner Bolt can't help him. There's, like, nothing that they can do, like, to help him. Uh, So she tells him that she's pregnant and he is furious And now he actually pushes her. So like where before she like made it up. Like this time he actually pushes her. And because he can't leave her. Now he just has to stay with her. He's stuck with her to raise this kid. And they do a TV interview together. And he says we're honest with each other. We're partners in crime. (laughs) And now we're going to be parents. (laughs) And then it ends with a scene that mirrors the beginning. um, Of him kind of like brushing her, her head, her hair. And then her turning to look up at him and it just says, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? What have we done to each other? What will we do? And it just ends. Such a a really optimistic view of marriage. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah, Great movie, yeah, no, it it is. Yeah, Gillian Flynn said that she had to kind of like resist the urge from like her and her husband getting into a fight and then her just going down and just like writing stuff <laughs> like about it. Um, but yeah, so my trivia because I have uh, a few things. So the bar in the movie called the bar uh, was an actual bar for a while. It's now closed, but it for a while after the movie, it became an actual bar that you could go to. Oh, 
Um, yeah. And then uh, realizing that Rosamund Pike is an only child was Fincher's kind of aha moment in casting her as Amy, as this girl who's surrounded by adults. And then for the role, she had to gain and lose like 12 to 15 pounds every month for four months. What? Which is crazy that you would think that like they would film all of like one and then the other. But it's like, yeah. no, she just had to fluctuate in weight. For four, like the four months of filming. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Seems a little extreme. That's um, a, yeah, that's a lot. I, I don't just know. Just pad her clothes, man. <laughs> Which I guess, so I think they did a little bit. And he said that they used something called bumpers. And like, it didn't help me figure out what that was um, mm. on the internet. But I assume it's what she puts in her face to make her face look fuller. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, the police department that they used for the film was in Culver City, and it was the same place that uh, he also shot Zodiac. Mm. Um, and then Casey Wilson and Rosamund Pike's scenes of them together were improvised. Oh. So it's just like Casey Wilson talking to her and then just getting all these shots of her, you know, like crying or, you know, yeah, all that it's, stuff it's together. Under, most of it's under the monologue, right? So Yeah. So that's the thing. Yeah. It's like because you don't really hear it, it's just the, the two of them of them talking which is really interesting to me also just because Fincher I feel like is known for being such a precise director who needs things to be exactly mm-hmm. a certain way that it's just like oh they can just talk about whatever they want in yeah. them <laughs> um and then Cheeto the cat the cat in the movie he said that uh Cheeto was great for continuity because if you just put Cheeto at the bottom of the stairs like after eight hours of filming Cheeto was still gonna be at the bottom of the stairs so that <laughs> cat would just stay wherever you put it you know what I'm also grateful for the movie for not killing the cat. Yeah, yeah. And then, okay, so my last thing, and I don't know how, like I feel like some of this is true, but I don't know how much of it is actually true. So David Fincher had wanted Ben Affleck to wear a Yankees cap in the movie. Mm-hmm. But Ben Affleck is, he's from Boston, so he's a Red Sox fan. He would not, oh, yeah. he would not wear it. And he jokes about Ben Affleck uh, not being professional. <laughs> Uh, and from Boston, so he wouldn't wear the cap. And then in in the commentary, Fincher says that they had to shut down production for four days until they finally compromised on him wearing a Mets cap. But I can't believe that that's true, that production would be shut down for four what? days because of that. So I, I don't know. I still don't know. That's why people don't like Ben <laughs> <laughs> But, like, in that story, I feel like that's on both of them, that they can't, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> – it could be any it doesn't even have to be like a baseball why can't it just have anything on like just nothing on the cap at all so yeah so i don't know uh and then like something that's not uh a trivia but just like an interesting thing is that amy is this character she says like at the beginning that she writes personality quizzes for magazines which i think is a very interesting job because the whole time her personality is constantly adapting to who she's with throughout the film and trying mm-hmm. to get the person that she is with to adapt to who she wants them to be. So I thought that was a very interesting occupation yeah, for Amy to have. But yeah, so that's everything that I have written down for <laughs> Gone Girl. Okay. Uh, well, let's go through uh, a simple favor. So we open with uh, Stephanie's vlog. Hi, moms. Um, <laughs> uh, and she does like a mommy blog with recipes and crafts and things like that and she uh, lets everybody know that her 
she's giving an update on the status of her best friend who is missing. And then we get a flashback uh, and we meet Stephanie, who's this very eager, overachieving uh, mom who, uh, you know, has a helium tank for kids, <laughs> her kids' parties. <laughs> and like all the other moms in the class are just like, kind of hate because she's too she's so perfect um and then we meet uh emily uh who's the mom of another kid in uh stephanie's class and uh she (laughs) the scene where we meet emily is great because she she like it's like blake lively in this suit with these like heels with like like red on the bottom i know nothing about fashion but Mm. they're super cool (laughs) looking shoes and like walking out in the middle of the rain in like slow motion and it's just like this big you know reveal of this like super cool uh, beautiful woman um and uh she comes up and uh their their kids want to play together so uh emily invites stephanie over for uh, a play date and a uh martini um <laughs> so the two of them uh start to get to know each other we also meet sean uh emily's husband who is uh, a writer and uh he wrote like one book like 10 years ago and hasn't really written since then which seems to be a point of contention in their marriage yeah um so once again, these women with these men and, and then, you know, they marry them and then they, they're like, wait a second, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. 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 She was like a fan of his. And yeah. So she chased after him to marry him. Yeah. And then he just stopped writing. So they, uh, she also reveals that they're house poor and uh, uh, don't, don't uh, have a whole lot of money at the, at the moment. And then uh, we see the two of them sort of bonding Um during a moment of uh, uh, some drunkenness, I guess, on on Stephanie's part, uh, they get to talking about, like, Emily sort of clearly feels that Stephanie is is uh, a prude, as she puts it. She's, she's, she's doesn't really have a whole lot of going on, and Stephanie says that there's, you know, everybody has their, their dark side, and so <laughs> she prompts uh, Stephanie to tell her what she means, and we get... Uh, kind of what I think of as sort of the point of no return in this movie yeah as far as uh, a pretty bonkers reveal um, that happens uh, Stephanie reveals uh, starts telling her a story about how when her father died um, a guy showed up at his funeral who turned out to be her half brother and then uh, she says that you know she felt very close to him and <laughs> you can see like Emily actually getting really invested in this story as she's telling it and she's like trying to sort of play it off and she's like no 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 no, keep going I want to hear where does this go (laughs) and it's great because you really get a sense of these two women like bonding in this moment but then she says that they just kissed but then in the flashback you're seeing what actually happened which is that she had sex with her brother and at the same time Stephanie or Emily is sort of calling her out on it and she's like no you're lying you 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 fucked him yeah and and she's like no 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 and this whole time they're seeing the flashback of yes that is actually what happened I remember watching this in the theater we see this together Uh uh-huh yeah and like the whole audience is sort of like very quiet in this moment because it's like oh my god like (laughs) 
this girl had sex with her brother, her brother yeah and you could sort of hear a pin drop but then you go back to them on the couch together and Emily just sort of lets out this belly laugh and calls her a brother fucker and, <laughs> and the whole audience it sort of gives the audience permission to laugh as well yeah um but it's so great because you kind of get the sense that Emily actually really likes this girl at this now like <laughs> because yeah she has this dark uh you know story in her past um and uh brother fucker is going to come up a lot throughout the movie yes Ted from Schitt's Creek. Yes, yes. Uh, the brother is played by uh, the guy who plays uh, Ted in Schitt's Creek. Dustin Milligan, I think is his name. Oh, I think that is his name, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, after this wonderful bonding moment that the two of them have, uh, Emily asks uh, Stephanie uh, for a simple favor of the, the title uh, to pick up her son from school because she's got some sort of work emergency. So she does, and then she does not hear from Emily, um, and sort of is, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. She calls Sean, who is in London taking care of his mother, um, and he says that Emily disappears sometimes and that he'll be back the next day. Um, so then Emily uh, continues to be missing. Her work doesn't know where she is uh, for a couple of days. Stephanie uh, takes it upon herself to look into things, and she uh, sneaks into her work and uh, finds hidden in her desk a uh, picture of what seems to be Emily looking very rough. Yeah. <laughs> With the words, gotta have faith uh, on, the, on the picture. So she uses that too, because uh, Emily didn't like pictures being taken of her. It's the only one that she had. So she puts up signs all over the neighborhood. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, missing person signs, which I think the... Uh, the other moms, the peanut gallery moms, rightly says she would hate if she knew <laughs> that she was doing. Which, like, anybody also would. Like, it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just take, like, the worst picture of me and just put it <laughs> up everywhere. Plastered everywhere. <sighs> um, so, not long after that, we find out that... Uh, Oh, Stephanie has been uh, also using her vlog to try to find Emily. And through that, the police get a lead and they find uh, what appears to be Emily's body uh, drowned in a lake uh, at like a remote summer camp. Um, so uh, Stephanie at this point is, uh, you know, helping out Sean with the funeral arrangements and taking care of the kids and basically becoming the perfect housewife for him at this point while he's uh, dealing with everything. Uh, And they grow closer and then they uh, start a relationship uh, kind of immediately after (laughs) Emily's funeral, which is maybe not the best time. Yeah. Um, I get it. It's, you know, I feel like a lot of people find uh you know try to find solace immediately after a death so it's kind of understandable Mm -hmm. in that sense the only reason it's it's really really bad is because uh, of course we know that emily is not actually uh dead (laughs) yeah um but uh sean uh seems to be you know fully into this relationship with stephanie and he invites her to move in with him they've also got uh four million dollars coming in of uh life insurance money which is, is very lucky. Um, <laughs> so I guess he's no longer house poor. Um, 
So as Stephanie starts to move in, uh, she takes all of the uh, things out of Emily's closet. And this is one of my favorite moments is she finds um, a gun and is like so thrown by it that she just hides it in a drawer like that's full of sex toys. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Uh, she moves everything out of the closet and goes and starts packing up her house. And then there's this great moment when she comes back and everything is back in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> all of the clothes are there, all of the shoes. Um, it it plays like completely straight, like thriller moment. And it, it honestly works. It like, it's very shocking in the first time that, yes. that you see it. Yeah. Uh, as she's dealing with the kids, she's uh, driving their sons to school and, uh, Emily's son uh, gives Stephanie uh, uh, an envelope that he says it's from his mom <laughs> and she almost gets into a car accident. <laughs> uh, then she gets home and opens it up and it is a picture of her, like a family picture uh, of her with her brother uh, circled and it says brother fucker on it. <laughs> and then <laughs> she gets a phone call uh, from Emily. <laughs> um. And so uh, things aren't going well for Stephanie at this point. And, you know, she was just trying to help her <laughs> new, but find her new best friend. You, you really feel for her. You do. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like in Gone Girl, Amy is the overachiever, which is why it's so convincing. And yeah. if it had held up, you know, Ben Affleck would have, have gone away, like, for her murder. And in this, like... Blake Lively or Emily recruited Stephanie simply to pick her son up from school but because she has selected this overachiever yeah. <laughs> to pick up her son from school this overachiever is going to find out what happened to you like they are going to solve your disappearance instead of simply picking your son up from school exactly yeah um so Stephanie goes to Sean to tell him about this and he like dismisses her you know she says, are you trying to diabolique me <laughs> <laughs> um and she tells him this, that that Emily called her and he's like no you're just you know stressed out you're you're just imagining things and just ugh. <laughs> men yeah I feel like also because of like certain choices that he makes like you're unsure of it it's like saying that you know he loves her so quickly and that she should move in it's just like yeah. okay are you just like getting over your wife really quickly or are you manipulating this woman in like some way you know like are you using are you using her to like take care of her son or are you in on whatever's happening together and you're just so unsure yeah 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 there's a great moment where uh the police come over to question them and uh she is like making dinner at the time and he says oh you've got a cute nanny and he goes oh no that's my my wife's friend <laughs> and, yeah. and uh he's like oh can she come over to my house and make me dinner <laughs> and it's like yeah it, like she's volunteering for all of this but it does look like he's it's it seems like he's also sort of taking advantage of the fact that he has this like type a personality like at his disposal will take care of his kid for him and mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah um so stephanie decides to take matters into her own hands and she uh follows oh she uses um the there's a, a very explicit painting that uh emily had had up in her house um and she looks at the artist's name and finds her uh and goes to ask her about emily and we get this scene with um linda cardellini 
And it was honestly difficult for me not to write down every line in the scene. Because <laughs> I think it's so great. <laughs> like, <laughs> when the Cardellini plays this artist uh, that Emily knew, and at the time she went by the name Claudia, apparently, um, who was like, became like obsessed with her and could paint only her. And now she's like <laughs> this recovering alcoholic who immediately takes a drink when she finds out that Emily uh, died and uh, who keeps like knives everywhere. And this is like playing with a knife the whole time and paints knives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, one of my favorite lines, she's like, you know, now, now I paint these knives and nobody fucking wants them. And, and <laughs> And Kendrick is like, what? No, they're so good. I'm just jealous. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, something that's interesting also is like at the beginning when they introduce the painting, uh, Emily says that like, oh, she stole it from like some pervert and stuff like that. So again, like the ex of this this wife that has gone missing, the ex of this person is like dismissed as like a pervert where in the other one you know it was like these people that had abused her so it's just like also like just disregarding and saying like terrible things about these people from your past yeah and it's also an interesting reveal uh when we meet uh the linda carlin leading character that um you know we have known that that uh, uh she doesn't like her picture being taken and so apparently when she was in the midst of her like painting her all the time she never let her paint her face so she said that this was the one picture that she had where she let her paint her face so of course that's the one that she stole uh when she left because she didn't want the picture being out Mm -hmm. there anymore yeah um so i wrote down the last line do you have the last line that claudia says by any chance oh uh or not claudia but but like linda cardellini (laughs) so like like right before the the scene ends um in Stephanie is like gonna kind of like poke around she's gotten this like t-shirt for her next clue to kind of like I guess both of the movies also are like these little like breadcrumbs of clues of like following a painting to a t-shirt to a camp (laughs) versus like envelopes with the actual word clue on them in Gone Girl but like the last thing is Linda Carlini is like holding this knife and she's kind of like warning Stephanie to not, you know, go looking for stuff. It's like, you go poking around in her past, you're going to find some shit that is terrifying. <laughs> she was not a normal person like you or me. And it's just like <laughs> pointing the knife at her and then herself. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. She's got this whole, and apparently um, I listened to an interview with Paul Feig where he said that originally in the scene, um, as written, didn't have a, uh, it, it was written a little differently and, and they got like notes back that there needed to be more uh, it needed to be scarier somehow or like more tension in the scene mm-hmm. so he was just like what if there's just knives everywhere <laughs> <laughs> like you know what's scary knives we'll yeah. just throw a bunch of knives great it worked <laughs> yeah um oh and another one of my favorite lines is she's looking at uh at Stephanie and she goes you know how I'd paint you beatific like a fucking saint and like also <laughs> holding the knife all the time and Stephanie goes yeah I get that a lot and she goes you should embrace it people love saints you're like, yeah after they're dead <laughs> <laughs> anyway so she, yes she follows the t-shirt to the camp where uh Emily's body was found uh and she's looking through uh old yearbooks she finds a picture of uh who uh, it turns out emily used to be um 
uh, and that she had a twin sister and their names were Hope and Faith. And uh, so from there, she uh, finds uh, Emily's mom uh, and she goes and uh, pretends to be <laughs> a couple of different people. I feel like she, she like pretends to be there to clean. Yeah. And then also to like be selling <laughs> like Clothes. the catalog. Yeah. She kind of switches up her, her character there. Um, but uh, she learns from Emily's mom that when uh, Emily was a teenager, she and her or a twin sister burned down their house with their father inside and then uh, disappeared. Uh, meanwhile, while Stephanie is on her little hunt, or actually after, because <laughs> she goes on her vlog and sort of has a, a, a nice little moment where she kind of gives a, uh, actually a kind of similar to uh, Gone Girl as well. They're giving sort of a public speech that is clearly only meant for the one person who is pretending to be dead uh-huh. at that yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, and sort of clues Emily into the fact that she knows uh, about her sister and uh, and their past. Uh, so uh, Emily goes and uh, confronts Sean um, about uh, you know her whole plan uh, to fake her death in order to get the insurance money. Um, that is uh, Stephanie is is screwing up for her. <laughs> so then they have a meeting at uh, Emily's. Uh, headstone <laughs> yeah. in the graveyard yeah uh, with some martinis just like the old days um <laughs> oh also just to like point out that the gin that yeah. they use in the in the movie oh, yes. they use aviation gin which is like Lively's actual husband ryan reynolds yes. gin company yeah because <laughs> she's a good wife <laughs> yeah. in real life <laughs> not in this movie um, <laughs> So uh, while we're there, we get the full backstory uh, from Emily about how her uh, father was abusive. Uh, and so she and her and her sister killed him and then went on the run. And they were too uh, conspicuous together. So they decided to separate. Um, and then uh, later she got that that picture that she was hiding in her desk from her sister and, and met up with her at their old camp. Um, and uh, she this is sort of an echo of the brother fucker scene. She claims that her sister uh, drowning was an accident and that Sean convinced her to uh, use it to, uh, for the, the insurance scam. Um, and Stephanie rightly calls her out on it. And we see uh, in the flashback that yes, Emily did uh, kill her sister because she was attempting to blackmail her for a million dollars saying that otherwise she would go to the police and tell them that they'd killed her father. So, <laughs> uh, at that point, both of the women are kind of, <laughs> they're kind of over Sean. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, they decide uh, to, um, or seemingly decide to uh, frame him uh, as an abusive husband uh, who planned uh, the whole thing and, and uh, made Emily uh, stage her own death. So then Sean gets out on bail. And he comes home to find Emily playing house in a little, like, 50s housewife dress with her martini. Um, And uh, then Stephanie busts in with a gun and uh, is very upset with both Sean and Emily, who she feels have used her uh, as the sort of naive romantic cot between the two of them. Uh, And so she... uh, 
is trying to get to the truth about what happened out of Emily and shoots Sean in the process. Uh, and at this point, Emily confesses to murdering her sister, but then she uh, also clues them into the fact that she knows that this is all just play acting. She tells Sean to get up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and reveals that she had found the microphones that were planted by the police because she knew that they were trying to get a confession out of her. Um, and uh, as she's doing this, she turns and she actually shoots Sean <laughs> for real in the shoulder. Um, at which point Stephanie reveals that uh, even though the mics have been cut, she has also been live streaming all of this to her mommy blog yeah. <laughs> through a hidden camera in her cardigan. So uh, Emily goes running out into the street and, they, and then promptly gets run over by car. <laughs> yeah, Andrew Reynolds hits her. Yeah. <laughs> one of the other moms yeah uh and the police are not far behind and we get this great scene of her like literally crawling and, and like bleeding from like her injuries of being hit by a car and stephanie's just like no honey <laughs> i'm really worried about your knees right now stop <laughs> um and uh yeah emily gets arrested stephanie's vlog goes viral and she uh becomes uh, the go-to place for tips on uh, how to uh, make, uh, you know, fun recipes for your kids and also uh, solve unsolved mysteries. So (laughs) that's the end. (laughs) So for a fun little thing for this one, since both of these are about female murdering wives who Mm -hmm. uh, fake their their own deaths and stuff like that, um a would you rather seemed kind of odd so i thought instead of that i thought that maybe a better one would be like okay let's say you are on the run what are the five things that you bring with you if you're gonna go on the run just okay i um (laughs) i mean i feel like the smart things to bring are like as much cash as you can get your hands mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe uh, like fake passport if you can do that. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't know where to get something like that. I like... wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I would probably take my cat, which is not a smart uh, thing to bring. <laughs> He would be a whole lot of trouble to take, uh-huh. but also I don't want to leave him behind. Yeah. So and I'm just kind of stuck there. Would you take Churro with you? So Churro is the first thing I have on my list of being <laughs> on the run, but I also know that Churro would not make it easy on me since he, you know, can bark and doesn't understand things and can be particular and he can get scared and stuff like that. So while he is like more of a risk, I would still, yes, I would take take churro with me okay i can't leave my sweet Um, boy at home (laughs) it's just you know um yeah other than that i know i feel like most people would have some something like sentimental that they would bring along with them um but i struggle to sort of come up with something that i feel like i couldn't leave behind you know yeah, it's tough because I feel like if you take your phone, which I feel like is important for so many things, I feel like yeah. that's probably how they could track you. But that's also like where your pictures are and, yeah. you know, like where maps are and stuff like that. So that becomes. Ooh, okay. A tough one. So maybe like go old school with all the stuff on your phone. 
let's assume that you've had some time to like plan this Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh like address book pictures that you really want in like a little journal maybe um that you can keep with you at all times and then a burner phone uh to take along okay yes that's that's what you would do you would get a burner phone. yeah yeah (laughs) i think that's five (laughs) i also put down on here like chapstick because i i'm not gonna make it very far if i don't have chapstick or a toothbrush yeah because that's just going to drive see, me that's crazy. that's what the cash is for. <laughs> that's true. So to, to buy those those things, yeah. And then hand sanitizer because it's just like I'm going to I'm gonna need that out there in the world. At but, this point, there's no um, – we're going to be living the rest of our lives needing hand sanitizer everywhere Yeah, we go, that's true. Like, yeah. It's not something we're going to get over. <laughs> it's true. And then I would also probably need a hoodie since I just love a hoodie, a little sweatshirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Okay. Well, I think we have a good list. I think yeah. – Oh, wait, I've got a would you rather for you. Okay. Would you rather be married to Henry Golding or Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> I had to make it harder. <laughs> no, that's extremely difficult. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> that's so tough. Because they're both good looking. Yeah. It's like they both have good bodies. You'd probably say Ryan Reynolds like edges him out like a little bit. But Henry Golding also has an accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's like accent versus sense of humor. And I don't know. Maybe Henry Golding is funny in real life. He, we just haven't really seen him in a really yeah, role. That's true. Because he is very – he's very charming um, in the movies that he's in. Like Crazy yeah. Rich Asians. And like the gentleman he has fun because he's like this over-the-top villain. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm going to go Henry Golding. I'm going to just, I'm going to take a chance, even yeah. though we know less about him. But it's a very tough choice. Obviously, yeah. they're both incredible options. So <laughs> who would you pick between the two? I, I, I'm i with you. I think I'd go Henry Golding. He's just so charming. And yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. After that, should we talk about some food? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll go first since I have the 20. 20- 14 movie oh which also gone girl is available on hulu for people that want to watch gone girl. oh yes and so is a simple favor it's a it's a hulu double feature oh okay <laughs> um so for this one i made custard because she's like watching him on television and amy's oh, yeah. just like eating those little ramekins of custard mm-hmm. so i made ramekins of custard and then i did a raspberry <laughs> sauce on it to kind of look like blood on them yeah so yeah perfect yeah very nice um yeah in i mean <laughs> there's a, there is a plethora of ideas and a simple favor because our one of our main characters runs a mommy blog mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so we open with zucchini cho- chocolate chip cookies she mentions meatless meatballs and we have a caesar salad with breadcrumbs uh, i made hangover smoothies which actually uh sean first makes and then she covers in her vlog but i noticed uh during the when she's doing it on her blog they have all the ingredients out and I'm like that's actually very similar to the same smoothie that I would make for (laughs) so I felt like I already had it in the bag um and yeah I think it would be kind of fun actually to do uh the martinis um and then the hangover smoothies the next day yeah Uh, Yeah, there is a great scene also where uh Blake Lively Emily 
describes how to make a real martini, as she calls it, which uh, uses frozen gin and uh, no ice. So it is literally just straight gin that you are drinking. Yeah, there's like a vermouth, I think, like wash, like on the glass that she yeah. she throws just out. Rinse the glass in vermouth, and then and then <laughs> throw in the. Uh, the frozen gin and give it a nice generous twist and that's it yeah we should try that i guess i've been channeling more of this this week since i did i cut off all my hair mm-hmm. like amy and then um <laughs> we bought yeah i bought aviation gin also this week so <laughs> just you know to celebrate the the film so all right okay so that is hell hath no fury um all right grace do you want to tell people where uh they can find us and what our theme for the next episode will be yes so you can find us at movie underscore matchup on instagram and some of our recipes on sugarednerd.com and tune in for the next episode when our theme will be banding together all right and until next time remember you don't need to be sorry for anything ever <laughs>